Hey, this is Heath Padgett, and welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast. This is episode number four. Today, I'm sitting down with Michael Boink from DitchingSuburbia.com. This is actually the first interview I did for my podcast. It was before I even picked up a mic, so I apologize in advance. If it's a little bit rough, it's all a learning experience. But this interview I did with Michael was awesome. He's been traveling with his family of four in their fifth wheel for the past five years all over the country and has experimented with just about every different kind of income imaginable while a person could be working on the road. He's done everything from self-publishing ebooks to building affiliate income, to even some sponsorships, work camping opportunities, and running his own company. And we talk about all of those in this episode. This guy has done it all. And I'd just like to add in before we get started that one of the biggest questions that Alyssa and I have gotten since we moved into an RV is, what are you guys going to do whenever you have kids? Always answered that sarcastically, like maybe we'll upgrade to a Class A rig, which we've already done. Or just something along those lines. You know, I'm not really sure to be totally honest. But after this conversation with Michael, I feel more confident that if we did want to spend an extended period of time living in an RV, traveling with our kids, then we could totally do that. And it would be a very meaningful experience. And one more thing before we get started. I just want to let you know that we actually started having our conversation in the interview and then we got cut off because of bad Wi-Fi reception and then we had to jump back on. And so it's going to sound like we're jumping in at the very middle, but we're just getting started at the beginning of Mike's story. So don't worry if it sounds like it's a little bit weird at the beginning. It's all good. (laughs) So without further ado, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Michael. Let's go. I'm sorry, man. Okay. This is only going to get smoother from here. <laughs> um, we got, um, we're here long enough. I had cable internet hooked up. So we're, we're, <laughs> we're just watching videos and movies like it's going out of style. You know? That's awesome. I was talking to some of my buddies the other day, and we were, we were talking about you know like things that our kids are never going to know about. And they're, we realized they're never going to know what it feels like to get knocked off the internet by one of your siblings or fight about it. It's just like it's not going to be a thing. You picked the phone up. <laughs> Mom, I'm I'm on AOL Instant Messenger. What are you doing? I think it's always so funny to hear people talk about their their first stories with the internet and how you know they were telling somebody how great it was and how somebody just didn't get it. What was the first kind of indication that you guys may wanted to start traveling? You know, I I wish I remembered that moment. Yeah, so I always worked at home at an office in the basement. Um, so we started that in 2002 and. So probably I'm going to just guess here. It was probably somewhere around 2005 or six that we, we came up with this idea. You know, some of it is I, my folks were always RVers and I grew up taking long vacations. We had like four or five week trips out West uh, when I was a teen. So I I was really familiar with the whole RV scene. Um, But were this idea that we could do it as a family full time, I don't remember. Uh, I wish I had, because it's in such a pivotal moment in our, in our life. Um, But we, we, kind of called it our pipe dream because you know when you have young kids for us we learned to talk in code because if the kids caught on to what we were talking about it would like rock their world too much you know it's you're just talking concepts that may never actually come true so we we called this idea the pipe dream and we would just talk about the pipe dream um uh, with the parents and we just knocked it around for a while and then in 2009 late 2009 in the course of one or two weeks 
the idea came up in conversations with other people. So we were just like business mixer events or, you know, different, um, like a startup weekend kind of thing. And people just asked like, well, why don't you do that? You know, it sounds like you're kind of set up for it. Why don't you do it? And, um, we just kind of took that as a sign from above that, Hey, that, and with the, you know, the 13th birthday coming up, it's time to, to put some wheels under this, under this dream. Yeah. Were you guys homeschooling at that time? Yeah, we've always homeschooled. So West Michigan is, West Michigan is a really strong homeschooling region. There's a lot of support for it. So it was, uh, we had a lot of, you know, there were groups and play dates and all that going on. So there's a, there's a lot of resources for it. You guys kind of had the ultimate setup in that regard because you had a remote business and your kids were homeschooled. So it wasn't, I guess they still had their friends, but it wasn't like you're uprooting them from their school because they were, already had that flexibility. Yeah. Well, it's funny because there were kids down the street. Like I swear my kids play with them once in a while, but it wasn't until we told them that we were going to hit the road. Like all of a sudden they were best buddies. (laughs) It's like, wait, three weeks ago, you hardly knew them. (laughs) But yeah, we had those, we had those foundation elements kind of in place. The the biggest uprooting for us was probably our church because, you know, our our neighborhood, like we knew our neighbors, we didn't have, there were a lot of uh, retired folks. We weren't like close friends. Um, so most of our most of our most of our roots in that Holland area was our church life. You talked about your house. You thought that was um, I feel like one of the biggest reasons people don't want to hit the road. Maybe because they have a home or they don't want to leave stuff stuff behind. They have memories there. They have a lot of things, and so there's a lot yeah. of fear associated with that. And you you had a quote on your website that I loved. Rather than a ticket to greater personal wealth, the house became a needy anchor, demanding our attention, time, and money while keeping us stuck in one geographic location. I love yeah. that. I mean, <laughs> you, like, talk to me about the misconception that you guys had about like having owning a home. Oh, that was totally. We call it the formula. Um, if like we just never grew up thinking it any differently. Like that was the plan. Like you got married, and I remember like we thought about starting a family, and we were renting an apartment at the time. And like, well, we can't can't start a family an apartment. We got to buy a house first. And literally, like we bought the house, and three weeks later, we were expecting. <laughs> it was bam, bam. Uh, yeah, but that was, you know, so that was the formula. Like you got to buy a house and you put some sweat equity to it, into it. You know, I come from a, a family of very much do-it-yourselfers. Um, in my extended family, especially, there's construction guys and, you know, house builders and painters. And so the, the general expectation was you'd buy a fixer-upper and you put a bunch of time into it and then own it for five or six years and then flip it and move on to the next, you know, the next bigger house. And And we were literally looking for that next bigger house the week I got laid off out of corporate America, like, Obviously, and I was in like the third round of layoffs, so I was evidently too slow on the uptake to think that, hey, this might not be a good time to look for a house if, if there's been two layoff rounds already. Uh, and then, you know, the housing market kind of tanked in there, and, and we realized that, gosh, all this time and effort we're putting in this house expecting to build equity, well, that's not going to happen. Like, we, if we get out of this thing, you know, broke, but not in debt, that would be that would be good at the moment. So that just kind of dawned on us, like all that work we put into it just really didn't amount to much. You know, and when you get to the point of like painting the same bedroom for the third time or fourth time, this isn't fun anymore. (laughs) Yeah. And just sinking money into it. Yeah. Yeah. In time, like I I blew two week vacations, like working on the stupid house. And what was like the outcome of that? Or what would you, what did you hope would be the outcome of all the work that you put into it, flipping it? Yeah, we wanted to build equity and then, you know, buy the next bigger house because that was, that was the formula that we were kind of tuned into. So, you know, it was a, <clears throat> it was a modest house to begin with, like a thousand square foot. It was nothing fancy. It was the perfect starter house. And, uh, and, and we bought it 
right. And there was, you know, just a lot of cosmetic things to do. And, and, you know, ultimately we, we ended up, I guess we walked away with a check, but if I look at all the money and time we spent, you know, fixing the thing up, it was probably a, a break even situation. How long did you guys spend on the road before you sold the house? Uh, well, we set off to do a year on the road and it was about seven months in that we realized, Hey, this is kind of fun. And there's no one telling us that we have to stop after a year. It was just kind of a number we put on the thing to, to figure out what to buy and what to, you know, what to plan for. So about at the seven month month mark, we decided like, let's just keep going. Um, but I was, I was adamant about finishing out the year. I said, you know, we, we kept like we had a logo with a tagline that we were going to do this for a year. And I felt like, okay, I got to prove that we can actually do this for a year. So we were just over a year. I think we left in September. We came back in November. Um, and then spent November to April just doing some odd jobs in the house to get it ready for sale. Yeah. Okay. So a little over a year. It seems like that's kind of like the standard length of time that when I've talked to a lot of RVers, like, yeah, we're going to try it for a year. And then once you try it, it's like, you don't want to go back. Well, a lot of it is just, there's, there's so much to think about. Like even just shopping for the RV, it's like, there's a million different RV shapes and sizes and, and price points. Like, gosh, and it, you know, as soon as the salespeople hear you're going to live in it for a year, they want to sell you the, you know, the 43 foot fifth wheel. It takes a one ton dually to pull. Yeah. <laughs> so we just put, like, we felt like the, the year was just a constraint we put around things just to be able to buy stuff. Like, well, do I need a, do I need a diesel dually pickup truck or can I get by with, you know, something else for a year? No, I can get by with something else for a year. You know, do we need a 40 foot fifth wheel? No, we can, you know, for a year we can get by with a 30 footer, you know, so it just helped us get through that process because there's just so much to think about and buy during that transitional phase yeah you um definitely i agree and it's kind of it's, it's definitely a really intimidating should i lease should i own for us we were, were trying to climb our way out of student debt and so we didn't want to pile on anything additional on top of that like another payment so we tried right. to find a small one and fix it up like you can see like we kind of turned into our home but i think that's yeah. i think that's really good advice you guys said that once you got back um like, or one of the things that you love the most about being on the road was that you own your days, not the boss, not the school or the homeowners association. Would you say that is, that is like the best, like, is that the best thing about being on the road or in your own words, tell me like, what is the best part of being able to travel full time with your family? It's that total freedom. And that, I mean, that phrase own your days has just really become important to us. And it's, you know, it's three simple words, you know, um, but you string them together and you, you just think about that. Being self-employed, okay, so now I can choose the work that I want to do. I can choose the clients that I want. And, you know, sometimes you got to take what's there because you need the money, but uh, most of the time that's not the case. Uh, so that's pretty cool. And then you add in, well, homeschooling now, we can choose how to, you know, how do we teach our kids and what resources do we use. We're not beholden to a school system. We're not beholden to Common Core. I don't got to worry about, you know, what Bill Gates is funding the governments to buy for curriculum. So we own that. And then you and then you throw in location independence on top of that. And, you know, I don't know if there's any greater freedom currently available in the, in the country. Like we choose where we want to be and what we want to do for work and how we want to teach our kids. Um, you know, I, I did literally like for the first eight or weeks on the road, I kept expecting a knock on the door with some guy in a hat going, okay, you know, you had your fun time to go home. <laughs> this is too good, man. <laughs> yeah. It's like, is this really, it, this is still legal, right? We can still get away with this. And it's, like I say, I don't think there's any greater freedom in the country. Yeah, I, mean, I don't, I don't yeah. even think like having a whole bunch more money would give you greater freedom because that, that always comes with greater responsibility too, you know? Absolutely. Last week, Al Alyssa heard of a job opening here in Austin at Google and she said, 
and, and she, one of our friends was telling us they applied for it, and then you'd make $80,000 a year. And she was like, Keith, can you imagine what we do with $80,000 a year? I said, yeah, half of what we're able to do now. Because right. cause we're, you know, we're travel, we're, we're location independent. And um, I love that. It's almost like you guys stumbled upon what people are striving for for the American dream, but don't see. Like you guys, like yeah. the traditional one was to have a, a great secure job, a home, um, you know, yeah. have a community. And you guys have kind of ditched all that, um, ditched the suburbia life and found your own real American dream, I would think, you know, having that freedom. Because that's what it's really all about, I think, is that people want that freedom to choose. So um, anyway. Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't really feel like we were, it, it sort of got, in many respects, kind of forced upon us. Like, um, you know, the job got taken away and then you realize, gosh, you know, that, that cushy corporate job is really no more secure than anything else. So I can't put my security in that cushy corporate job anymore. And then the housing market tanks and you go, gosh, that, that confidence I had in the equity of my house, well, that can be taken away outside of my control too. So, you know, all those things that you kind of try to get confidence in that you're, you got a, a stable life you learn can be taken away from you. Or at least we learned that. Um, so yeah, it's, it was, I don't, in many respects, I feel like we kind of we stumbled through it and kind of came out lucky on the other end. But <laughs> we, there's certainly, um, uh, I think there's about a decade in there that we we're sort of sleepwalking through life that I wish we I wish we'd waken up sooner. What when you look back on that time versus what you're doing now? I mean, what what's the biggest difference you see in yourself and your family? Oh gosh, the, yeah, mid thirties. You know, I guess especially when I had the corporate job. You know, it was you leaving, especially in, in Michigan in the wintertime, you're leaving in the dark and you're coming home in the dark. So you, you may see the sunshine through a window at work if you're lucky. Uh, I wasn't. My, I remember an office that was, you know, 30 feet from a window. and So you didn't see the daylight all day. Um, at least we, you know, we homeschooled, so we didn't have kids with a lot of homework responsibilities. But I just remember trying to cram all of my dad time into, you know, an hour and a half after getting home at night. You know, I was always the one doing the baths and kind of uh, reading him to sleep and getting him off into bed. And I, you know, I loved and treasured that time because it was all I had. And then now it's like I'm around them all the time. Uh, and almost to the point where I've got a, I've got a purpose to spend one-on-one -on -one time with them. It's one of those things like when you talk to people who live in an area and there's like attractions there. Like you never go see that stuff that's available in your hometown because you can see it at any time. Like we're from, we're from Holland, Michigan. There's a, there's an attraction there called Dutch village. It's, you know, Holland was settled by the Dutch immigrants. So there's a lot of Dutch themed stuff around. I've never been in it. And I, you know, I was born and raised in that town, but I never went because I always could. Well, it's the same thing with the, the kids now. It's like they're around so much that there's, there's no pressure. There's no urgency to spend one-on-one -on -one time with them. So I have to really think about doing that. And so it, I mean, it's good. I'm around them a lot and I see them a lot, but it, it almost becomes, uh, searching for the word. Like, again, I have to, I have to purpose to find real focused time with them independently and kind of on a one-on-one -on -one fashion. And that, and that's how you feel now. Okay. Cause you're around them all the time. So it kind of feels like you're getting that time in, but it's not necessarily quality time you're saying. Or... So, yeah, so there's, I mean, it, I guess the takeaway is, you know, a full-time travel life isn't a panacea for every last issue with your family. Um, I think it, you know, every, every full-time family we've talked with has the same joke. Like there's no elephants in the room because there's no room for an elephant in the room. 
So if there are personal issues or relationship issues that need to be worked on, you can't really sweep them away because there's just no room to do that. Um, but those issues still come up because it's, you know, it's life, it's life with a family and it's life with family in a small space. I want to transition into more of like your career and your job and what you do now. So right now you, you run uh, Boink and you also run, what is the training online training you run? It's uh, train E, train dash EE. Uh, it's a play on expression engine. So expression engine is the double E. So we, in the course of running Boink Interactive, I started building websites on a CMS called expression engine. It's kind of like WordPress, right? Yeah, it's in the same same kind of uh, crowd, WordPress, Joomla, Drupal. Um, it's a commercial CMS, though, rather than being open source like WordPress. And, you know, there's pluses and minuses either way, but it's just what I happen to fall into. Um, and then I got really, like, I have this thing where I get excited about a piece of technology or something like the Internet, and I just like to help people learn it. So with Expression Engine, I started uh, helping a lot of people learn it in the forums, and then um, someone said, you know, there's there's no book about Expression Engine. It was like a four-year-old product by this point. So just kind of naively, I thought, well, I could write a book. <laughs> um, I started on my, on my Boink.com blog and just said, I'm just going to blog my way through it chapter by chapter. I'll post it as blog entries and we'll see how it goes. And those those blog entries just got really popular, just hundreds of comments and all kinds of traffic. And um, so we, we basically boiled that down into a PDF and then uh, started selling that as a book. And that became the kernel of trainee. So we, we took the book and we started doing some screencasts. And then we added, we came up with a, um, like a three day class that we teach around the country and have been doing that as, uh, for a few years as well. So it's a nice complement to web development. You know, web development, at least how I do it is a very solo you know, experience. It's usually me building the site out. I don't usually work on big teams. So it's me sitting on a laptop kind of being introvert boink. And then the, the training is, you know, me standing in front of, you know, a dozen people or 20 people talking all day. So it's very much extrovert boink. And I've always joked that I'm neither an extrovert or an introvert. I'm just a vert. You know, I enjoy both. I enjoy coding, but I also enjoy talking to people. Whenever you launch, that's that's awesome, by the way, about the, the blog. Whenever you launched the book, was that enough for you guys to live off of for the time? Like, was it was it going that uh, successfully? Or? Yeah, it's never been our sole income source, but it's been a pretty significant one. So, the, I mean, the joke in tech book publishing especially is you don't publish a tech book to make money you publish a tech book to become an expert and then you turn that around and sell you know consulting time or whatever um well here's another one of those kind of um situations we sort of got forced into that turned out to our benefit so we wrote that book was for expression engine one uh we got the book done and, and ellis lab the company who built expression engine said hey we're, we've got expression engine two uh ready to launch and it's going to be about six months so here we sit with a book we just finished looking at the next product coming out in six months. You know, So we figure, gosh, we've got six months of shelf time that we can sell this thing. Um, what do we do? And Because our choice at that point was do we self-publish or do, do we try to sell it to a publisher? And based on that time frame, I'm like, there's no way a publisher is going to turn this around fast enough. So let's just self-publish it. And that turned out to be the best decision we ever made. We, you know, there's There's been times, you know, some years, you know, it's been like 20 grand a year income from just a book. You know, so no, not enough to live on as a family, but certainly a significant source of income. Yeah, that's. I think that's awesome. Um, I think there's a lot of people who want to be able to get started into the client-based freelance type business, and there's a lot of jobs transitioning into that way. So what practical advice would you give people who are, for, like, maybe they have web development skills, maybe they're a designer, a blogger, um, but there's a lot, I think there's a kind of, like, 
laws that apply across the board for how to be mm. a good freelancer and how to get clients, yeah. how to treat them well and grow that business. What would be kind of some beginner practical advice for people who are just getting started? Yeah, what I don't really speak to what's worked for me. Um, what's worked for me has been very to be very niche targeted. So I'm the I'm the expression engine guy. You know, that's pretty much my world revolves around that. Um, so the the benefits of that is I've had to do very little marketing. You know, I guess the book is basically my marketing. So pretty much people come to me because you know I wrote a book, so I'm uh, they see me as an expert in the field. Um, you know, I spend a lot of times in the expression engine forums, so there's a lot of me there answering people's questions. So they they find that and they they get confidence that I can do what they need done. So it, you know, from a sales and marketing perspective, I do very little of that work. So the downside is that, you know, if you get bored of working on expression engine sites, <laughs> um, then it gets tough because that's what's coming in. That's where the money is. So niche based, you know, has its pluses and minuses. You can, you know, you can really ride that niche and not have to do a lot of sales work um, to get the work. But it's got to be something that you're going to enjoy doing for a while, too. Do you still very do you still really enjoy doing it? Yeah, I do. It's like I, I, I don't want it to be my 100 percent full time income. Um but I don't want to get out of it either. It's, uh, you know, I still enjoy building client websites, but I also enjoy writing books and I also enjoy travel. So it's trying to figure out that right mix of, of life uh, in that mode. Across the board, what are all your different streams of income right now? Uh, so we've got building websites for clients. So basically a freelance model there. We've got uh, the book sales, which uh, Expression Engine 3 is now coming out. So we're kind of in that same spot again of, um, you know, do we what do we do there? Do we rewrite the book on expression engine three? Is that been trying to figure out uh, if the sales are going to be there like they were for E2? Cause you know, the market's always shifting around. Um, but that's, and what's funny is people will call that passive income. And I always say it's not passive. It's delayed. You know, it takes a lot of work to write a book. You know, we spent hours and hours and hours writing that thing. So that it's not really passive income because <laughs> you work to get there, but it's just kind of delayed. I like that. Um, We've got the uh, expression engine training, so we'll do classes periodically. Uh, so we'll we'll book out a you know a conference room and hotel and market the class and sell seats in the class. Um, we tend to do like you know two to three of those a year, just kind of around the country at different times. Um, we've got some affiliate money coming in. We're starting to do more of that in ditching suburbia. You know, just basically you know anything in our world that has an affiliate program, we'll sign up for. So we're starting to see a little bit of money coming. That's not much. It's like I think we've got 75 bucks this month from Amazon and that's our biggest month yet, but we're, that's something we're trying to grow. For those of people who um, aren't like into tech and blogging, basically affiliate is whenever, you know, Amazon has probably the most well-known affiliate. You link to products on Amazon, you create an account and then you get a commission from that. So right, just to right. kind of explain that for people. who Yeah. Don't know so what's worked for us is we wrote a blog post called what stuff do you full-time RV with? And we just did, went through and did an inventory of all the gear and stuff and clothes and cookware, everything that stuff it takes. you guys actually use. So stuff we actually use. And actually I you know, we wrote that and it got really popular. And again, I'm slow on the uptake sometimes. I didn't have I had linked all this to affiliate or to Amazon without an affiliate account. And then that, that page got really popular and I cited it dawned on me like, gosh, I should make those affiliate links and see if we can make money from it. So it took a bit, but yeah, but we're there. Um we've done some so this isn't a current income, but we've done some sponsorship deals in the past. Uh, so when we first launched, we had sponsorships from uh, Ellis Lab, who does Expression Engine. We had sponsorship from one of the furniture companies uh, in the region. 
and uh, Garmin. Garmin was a client at the time, so they gave us some uh, GPSs to use. Uh, so it was more – actually, I guess we got a little bit of money. The sponsorships kind of fell apart for us mainly because the sponsors wanted, like, to know where we were going to be. So where are you going? You know, who's going to – you know, if we put a, a logo on the back of your rig, who's going to see that? And is that really, you know, our target audience or not? Yeah. It's hard to yeah. give an ROI. Yeah, exactly. Because we don't want to, we don't want to plan out where we're going to be. Like we just want to kind of float free and, and go where we want to go when we want to go and not have a, we don't want to, we don't want to be booked out a year in advance of where we're going to be. That's just kind of stressful for us. So, um, and the other thing that happened in there was we, one of the ideas was we would go to other freelancing shops or design development shops, do some video interviews. You know, these would be expression engine users. So we would go do video interviews, um, just about why they were using the product. And then, um, LS lab could, could use that as content on their blog. And then, uh, I think they just got really busy with actually the business of writing software and didn't have time to edit the videos and get them posted up. So that one kind of fell apart as well. But so, so yeah, the sponsorships, you know, anytime people bring those up when they want to become full-time RVers, uh, they may be good for getting the odd piece of gear or something, but you know, to think you're going to uh, exist on sponsorship deals, I, I just haven't seen it happen for anybody. Yeah. Yeah. We have experience in that this past year, we had about seven months of runway of the sponsor, which actually gave us the initial funding that we needed to get started on mm. the road. Um, so in our case, it was uh, about 1100 bucks a month and, oh, okay. um, and then plus some freelance writing and a little bit of crowdfunding before we got started. And, the, and that kind of gave us a taste of the RV enough to build up our writing and um, some clientele based business uh, to, yeah. get, to get started. And so, I, I can be an advocate from that perspective, but at long term, I don't think it's a good solution either. Um, right. So, but and I think it works better too if you have a particular cause. Like you know, if you're if you're traveling around to raise awareness for you know wounded warriors or you know some philanthropic cause that people can kind of get on board with, um, that might help too. You know this this cause of you know the boinks having fun and seeing cool places just wasn't enough to sell sponsorships to yeah totally that makes sense so i think that's a really good point that if you do want to try to go to sponsorship route you need a campaign you need something bigger yeah. than yourself it's not just hey fund me you right. know to go travel um because yeah. then everybody would do that so <laughs> uh you know you've got your main business right now what what would you ideally like to be doing um you know down the road like you publishing more books or yeah so we're working on a book for ditching suburbia so we've, we've interviewed um right around 40 families that have found ways out of the suburbs um be that by you know moving into rvs moving on boats uh, building tiny houses uh, one family living on bikes for three years uh, families starting uh, homesteads so kind of going back to uh, farming roots and so that book is in progress, so we're building that out, and then we're hoping that becomes a product for us as well. Um, I want to actually add some products, just some physical products to Ditching Suburbia. I, I'm just really enamored with the name and the logo and how the branding's come out. It's I think awesome. it's of, every, of everything I've done, <laughs> it's it's just come out the best. Um, and I think getting it onto some you know mugs and you know travel water bottles and that kind of thing would be kind of fun too. Um, maybe some, you know, clothing options or whatever, just um, that might support the lifestyle that we're kind of uh, pitching. I think it's an awesome name. <laughs> oh, thanks. I think yeah, it's uh, of all everything I've named, it's it's the best one. Um, and I've got I I would love to. I've got a couple um, artists kind of in my peer group that I would love to just commission to do some T-shirts and just you know take the name and just however you see 
um, that graphically coming out and let's do some t-shirts and, and, you know, co-op some sales that way. Um, cause I just think, you know, like three sheep or one sheep's taken off with a rock underneath them kind of thing <laughs> just would be kind of fun for, for it. Um, you know, it's a, it's a slightly irreverent name and I want to, I want to play up on that more and just have, have more fun with that. So the book, some physical products, um, we're probably going to approach like the RV industry and maybe look at trying to speak at some RV shows. Um, the downside of those is they always happen where it's cold because it's the RV dealers trying to do something in the winter when they're not selling. Um, but possibly doing just some talks and classes on, you know, this younger family-based generation uh, moving into RVs. Um, and just, you know, to do some, so it's just some speaking engagements that way. Um, I think ideally my world would be kind of half that and then half web development yet. Okay. And I still, yeah, I still like building stuff. I'm still... I'm still kind of a maker by nature. Um, so to keep that going is going to be important. I have two more questions. One, mm-hmm. is, one is if I'm not, if somebody is not tech oriented, meaning that they don't, they're not a developer, they're not a graphic designer. Is there a way that they can transition to the RV life before retirement that you've seen? That's, that would be my first question. Yeah. So we've seen a few examples of that. We, we met one family where dad um, worked in the trucking industry and he was just putting the loads together. So all he needed to be was on the phone all day. So it was a job I would have hated because I hate being on the phone. But um, but he realized that he could be on the phone anywhere. So we would we would kind of go out and visit a national park and he would sit in the truck and, and work for a couple hours on the phone while we walked around and checked out the sites. Um, so that worked for him. Uh, we've got other friends where they go back to Montana and he's a construction guy. So he'll work half the year doing construction projects and just build up the fund and then they'll travel half the year. So they've kind of figured out a, a way of doing that where it's, I guess it's not necessarily full-time travel, although they do live in the RV full year or all year while they do that. Um, they also do a, um, I think they do a Christmas tree lot. So around Christmas time on those slots where you go by a Christmas tree, usually there's someone living there in an RV just doing the sales and security around that. Um, and then they also do a fireworks stand around the 4th of July. And so between those three things, construction, Christmas tree sales, and fireworks sales, they make a go of it. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So just kind of scrapping together different sources of income to, to make it work. Um, the cooler thing about that family specifically is they have 12 kids. Uh, no, I think three of them, we we're always, we're always trying to update our heads with where they're at. I think three of them are out of the house now. Um, so they're traveling with nine. Do they have a blog? Yeah, they're, they're the Tickner tribe. Tickner tribe. Okay. Yeah. So they're always like, we get families that contact us and say, yeah, we got four kids. Can we really do it? Like four is nothing, man. <laughs> <laughs> this family was 12 and they're not the only family with 12. I think we know of three families with 12. I've seen one, uh, I don't remember their name off the top of my head, but that is well, that's um, there's the Kellogg's. That's that's the, the ones Kellogg's. I've heard of. Yeah, and the Mans. Oops. Man, that's crazy. Yeah, you can just when they ask if they can do it for you, just send them a couple links. Yeah, just to check yeah, this out. Totally, totally doable. Um, yeah, there's a point at which you got to go down the road with two vehicles. Like everyone can't fit in the tow vehicle for the RV. There's got to be a second vehicle involved, but they oh, make wow. it work. Yeah. Wow. That's that's kind of crazy. Um, yeah. So you guys also have a, a few work camping experiences. And yeah, you said the first yeah. the first one was not great. Second one was better. Third <laughs> one was pretty good. It sounded like on the ranch. Yeah. Um, I think in my mind, from a, from a younger person's perspective, or even somebody with a family, if they just they haven't secured that income that they need yet, that might be a good option to get started. Can you talk about that? 
Yeah. So yeah, you're right. We have the three experiences. So work camping comes in a lot of flavors, but the basic idea is that you work a certain number of hours in exchange for your campsite and then sometimes extra money past a certain amount of hours. So our first experience was for a private campground in Washington. It wasn't a good experience. It was a great learning experience. <laughs> we learned what to look for in the next gig. Um, that one was a three days on, three days off schedule. And then we got a stipend in addition to that of, I don't know, maybe three, 400 bucks a month, if I remember right. Um, so it was from a hours of commitment perspective, it was okay. Like it, it bit into my development time a little bit, but not too bad. Um, the second experience was for a government owned park in Mesa, Arizona. Uh, that one, as I recall, it was, I think it was 30 hours for me and my wife. So we each had to work 30 hours for the park in exchange for the site. 30 it hours a month? A week. Oh, oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. So that was, it was more than I liked. Um, but we stayed because a, the park was beautiful. It was one of our favorite parks in the country, probably one of the top three we'd choose. Um, B, there was another family working there as well. So my kids had, um, playmates that they could go see. Uh, and my daughter, especially, she kind of self-sourced her own little junior ranger experience. So the park did a lot of ranger led talks. And she just fell in love with the Sonoran Desert. So she just started going on all the talks. Like even if she'd been on the same one last week, she'd go back on it again. And they saw that interest in her. And so they started, hey, Miranda, um, you've been on this talk three times now. How about next time we do this talk, when we get to the barrel cactus, why don't you talk about the barrel cactus? And slowly, kind of piece by piece, they gave her the whole talk. So by the, the end of our time there, this is a 14-year-old girl who claims to not like science speaking publicly to strangers about natural sciences. So she would lead this talk around um, the nature center in the park there. And like, here's a swirl cactus. Here's how they grow. Here's all along they take to grow. Here's the barrel cactus. You know, here's the animals that, that come to the area. Uh, you know, so it's, from an educational point of view, it was one of her best experiences since we've been traveling. So seeing that happen, like I, I was frustrated with the number of hours that I was spending, but those hours were buying that experience for her. And that's something that she just wasn't going to get anywhere else. I mean, it was just, it was an incredible experience for her. Um, and then she and my son actually worked to put a video together at the, at the end of that. So my son, son shot out the video of her talking and doing her spiel. That's awesome. And they, they edited it together at the end for kind of a big presentation. That's really So that worked, yeah, that worked out really well. So that was the second one. The third one was the farm. And, and on the second one, did you guys get paid for that or was it just a uh, free No, spot? no money there. No money there. It's just the spot. Okay. And how did you so, find it? Uh, that one, the other family that was there let us, because we met them our first year around. Uh, and then this was later on. They, they emailed us and said, hey, there's an opening here for a work camper. You guys should apply. Okay. So you, you got it through a referral. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then, so the third one was a little different yet. Yeah, the third one, we were on a private Texas ranch. And this one I sourced through um, a site called Woofing. So it's worldwide opportunities on organic farms. So we we got interested in farming and just, you know, learning more about growing our food and just what would that take and what would homesteading take. Uh, so we came across Woofing. And Woofing's kind of a dating service for owners of farms who need help. So they're on one side of the fence. On the other side of the fence, are, there's a lot of people who want to learn how to raise food organically and how to, um, how to do farming. So the farmers basically provide um, room and board in exchange for X number of hours worked per week. 
so we were a little outside the norm that the average woofer is probably more someone your age or even my son's age, you know, single 20, um, they'll come to a farm, you know, live in a yurt or a bunkhouse, you know, spend 25, 30 hours a week working for the farmer doing, just doing all that getting fed, um, off that food. And then maybe a little money, you know, if there's a, like a farmer's market sales going on as well. So I went on woofing and, and just said, here we are, we're a family, we live in an RV, we kind of come with our own housing, you don't have to put us up, but we, we do need a spot big enough to park it, and ideally we'd need full hookups. And I had like three farms in Texas that were all good candidates. Uh, the one that we chose was owned by a guy who builds houses for a living, it's kind of a, a farm, hobby farm, I guess, for him. Uh, but he's like, well, what do you need? I'm like, 50 amp electric, water, and sewer. He's like, oh, I, say, I got a power pole, I know where the sewer line runs, I'll just trench that in before you get here, and so by the time we got there, he put in a whole hookup, full hookup site for us. And so we were on the second half of his 80 acres in uh, Utopia, Texas. It's about an hour and a half west of San Antonio. Um, beautiful spot, quiet, dark. I mean, I, I didn't know stars had color. <laughs> west Texas uh, stars, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we did, we kept track of our hours there. We did about 22 to 23 hours a week as a family in exchange for that spot. So fewer hours, that was good from a work perspective. Um, and then basically what I did was I just, this guy was one of those guys who just has stuff everywhere. He knows where it is, but it's, you know, I've got, you know, PVC on this end of the farm and PVC on that end of the farm. I just organized all that for him. So I consolidated all his PVC inventory. I worked in his shop and just, um, I, I said, if you buy me the shelves and the tubs, I'll organize all your hardware, screws, and nails, and all that stuff for you. Um, I'm a bit of a freak that way. I, if I have a business after web development, it'll be garage organization. I could be happy as a clam just organizing garages for people. Um, so I did that in his workshop. My daughter, though they had horses on the farm, and so the, his wife was kind of the main horsing gal, and my daughter just really connected with her. They were very similar personality types. Um, so my daughter got great horsemanship training um spent hours and but she was also willing to go clean out the paddocks and scoop horse poop for hours to earn that as well because that was one of our uh, chores while we were being there so we we basically did those organizational stuff we tended he had a big garden so we kind of tended the garden and would cover it up and uncover it with the frost coming on and off um we cleaned up he had a like a airbnb rental cottage on the property that we cleaned up and and flipped that for him as the people came and went so just a number of things in exchange for our site there and his his site was listed on wolfing.com yeah so he found well, actually he found our listing so you on wolfing you can go in and as a farm list yourself or there's forums that you can go in and kind of present your personal profile as well gotcha. and uh, he found uh, he found us there any tips for people who want to possibly uh, get a gig through wolfing um, it's pretty standard stuff. I mean, there's, there's reviews and comments that you can read. You know, I still hopped on phone calls with the farm owners and just spent a little time with them on the phone. Cause again, we were kind of outside the norm of what they were looking for. You know, they're expecting a single 20 something to come through and I'm like, no, family of four with a big trailer you need to park. Um, so just, yeah, kind of read the reviews and go through that. Um, and what we did too, was we, kind of based on our previous work camping experience. I'm like, we'll, we'll come for, we'll commit to two weeks. So we'll come for two weeks at the end of two weeks. Let's get back together and just talk with each other and see how things are going. You know, is it a good fit? You know, are you enjoying having us here? And are we enjoying being here? Cause that first job, especially the first camp hosting job, like we just committed to the whole season and we'd never been at that park before. Um, and we won't do that again. <laughs> 
because then you're in this you're in this un- awkward spot of we really don't want to be here anymore, but we made that commitment and yeah. we should probably follow the commitment through. And so, how long did you guys end up staying on the farm? The farm we were there, I think nine weeks total. Oh wow! Okay, so it worked out really well. Yeah, yeah, we really enjoyed it. We really enjoyed it. It was time to move on. Yeah, awesome. Well, I appreciate you so much uh, giving me your time, Michael. Where can people find out more about you? Um, primarily is ditchingsuburbia.com. That's our active effort. That's where we're, um, we'll be posting updates about the book that we're writing by the same title, but we're also, we're filling in a lot of resources for people that want to get out of the suburbs. So whether it be by RV or boat or tiny house, um, we're, we're finding all the blogs about those things that we can, and we're we're finding the, the apps and books and movies that are all appropriate for those audiences. So we're trying to be kind of the one stop shop. If you're tired of a suburban life and want to get out of it, We'll show you how and give you all the resources necessary to do it. Um, web development perspective is boink.com. It's the web company, and those are my two primary sites at this point. Awesome. Well, thank you, Michael. Uh, one question I forgot to ask, but I, I think it would mm. be really helpful for people. Do you have an a- idea of the average cost for a family of four full-time traveling, or do you have somewhere where we can find that? We uh, Let me give me just a second here because I actually – my wife just sent me those numbers yesterday. Um, so we haven't, this would be our cost for last year. So 2014, and there's a few caveats here, but let me get to this. So these are broken out by the month. So for 2014, we spent 455 a month on fuel and 675 a month on camping. And those are, as RVers, those are going to be your primary um, costs. You know, propane, 15 bucks a month, laundry, 75 to 100. As a family, that's a bigger cost that not everyone expects is laundry costs. Some RVs have um, washing machines in them, but they're always really small. So either you're doing laundry all the time <laughs> or, or you bail out to a laundromat and just get it all done at once. So 75 to 100 a month there. Um, we're still paying off the RV. That's about 240 a month. So... Collectively, you know, what are you looking at, about 1500 a month or so for, for our lifestyle. And there's a lot of variability in there, you know, how much you eat out, how much, you know, what kind of um, groceries you buy and that sort of thing. And, and we're a family of four, but I'm a family of four with two teens. So it's basically four adults with a boy who really likes to eat. So <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Michael. I hope you enjoyed that conversation I had with Mike. He's an awesome guy and would love to bring him back on the show in the future. If you want to check out Michael's blog at Ditching Suburbia or any of the other links we mentioned in this episode, you can check out the show notes at heathpaget.com forward slash episode four, episode spelled out in the number four. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, I would love to have you leave a review in iTunes. Those go a really long way towards helping other people find the show. And I would just be really appreciative and you'd be awesome, and I'll give you a virtual high five. (laughs) I will see you on the next episode of The RV Entrepreneur while I'll be talking with Olivia and Kyle from Driving and Vibin. I think I also missed the memo where if you live in an RV, you have to come up with a really cool nickname for yourself and your website because I think we are literally the only people who are just Heath and Alyssa. (laughs) Anyway, Kyle and Olivia's last jobs were as a waitress and a musician. While they were working those jobs, they not only saved up enough money to hit the road, but they also started an online Etsy store that has replaced their entire income and allows them to travel full-time. We'll be talking about that more in the next episode of The RV Entrepreneur. I'll see you there.